Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whittell with Katie Bernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that are going on in our field, the things being said about our fields, and our right to defend our fields to the death <laughs> against the evil op-ed writers over at the New York Times who are accusing therapy of being the new religion. And we are diving into some of our responses to what some of these articles are saying, but also exploring is the way that we practice reflective of the society we're in and answering all of the moral questions about the roles of therapists. So, Katie, this is something where you've sent me a number of articles as a New York Times subscriber that we've had to work around some paywall issues for me to be able to catch up on (laughs) some of this There was just too many. I gave you too many for this to be a uh, free article. Yes. So we have done an episode in the past on therapy is an opiate for the masses. We can include a link in our show notes over at MTSG podcast on that. That episode was a little bit more of like, are we using therapy to just tell people to be okay with what's going on around them? Yes. This is a little bit different of an episode here. So where do you want to dive in on this? Well, I think the biggest thing is this is almost the New York Times op-ed writers arguing that we are doing quite the reverse. We are anti-social or anti-community and that therapy is now the place you go to explore yourself and learn that no is a full sentence, that the only emotions that matter are your own that if something is going to potentially harm your mental health, and that's broadly used because I think as therapists, we know that there are things that harm our mental health and things that just make us uncomfortable, that we can opt out regardless of the impact on our friends, loved ones, the people who are relying on us. And one of the articles actually said that kind of we've moved into this place where therapy now is solipsistic. And I had to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And it basically means that it's a philosophical principle that you can only know for sure that you yourself are real. And so that only you are important and it's only your perspective that matters. And so that's kind of a a really high level of some of the arguments is that therapy has now become the new religion, which is very anti-community. We aren't looking at relationships, which, you know, a whole bunch of MFTs are like, what? (laughs) We're not worrying about how our actions will impact society. 
It's about our own feelings and what our needs are and the needs of other people don't matter. So obviously it's very, very simplistic, but some of the stuff that they were talking about, I thought was really interesting because it goes into how much therapy speak has invaded everything. You know, people have always used like, oh, I'm depressed or I'm anxious without it being clinical, but they're talking about OCD or everyone's a little bit neurodivergent or is neurodivergent. We did a whole episode on social media diagnosis, but there's also this stuff that has invaded dating where people will put that they're in therapy on their dating profiles as kind of a cheat code that I'm safe to date because I'm in therapy. There was another article about being in therapy makes you a good person. And so people are going to therapy just to make sure that their toxic mess is not being pushed onto everyone else, that they're doing the work and that they are going to be okay, that they're suitable for society and they're good people because they are in therapy. And that article argued that people are going to therapy without any purpose. And so the therapy is confusing. It doesn't have any point to it. I think that just sounds like bad therapy. But I think overall, basically, therapy has become the new cachet. It's the new marker. It is the new place that you explore your morals and values. And the New York Times are saying, ooh, this is dangerous, especially because therapy is so expensive and not everybody can have it. You know, sociologically, as organized religion goes down, as the number of people attending organized religion tends to trend towards fewer, this seems to be kind of a thing that many people have discussed about going to church or going to their places of worship historically, of people who go without understanding why the reasons that they're there. That a lot of the way that I initially hear this is this seems to be trying to maintain the status quo of religion as religion, old religion as old religion here. And something new has come along that threatens the fabric of something that has been around for thousands of years. So this is the equivalent of stay off my lawn. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I think it coincides with there's a generational difference here that as millennials tend to be seen as a more individualistic kind of generation in and of itself as compared to historical definitions, ones who are more likely to question why are we doing things just for the sake of doing them, that trying to make sense of things in an individualistic way, if there's a pathway or an opportunity to be able to explore things within the way that society is changing, rather than instituting and maintaining rules that were you know, passed down from tens of hundreds of generations ago, it makes sense as a reflection on society that something is challenging these old institutions. And within that change comes chaos or the fear of, you know, old standing rules and things that quote unquote worked well enough that as you have already alluded to, don't work well enough for everybody. Well, I think there's some of that for sure. I think religion as the previous opiate of the masses. Television and the internet being in between those two. And now therapy. (laughs) But I think there's this element of religion gives people meaning and purpose. Religion tells people how they should live their life, what's good, what's bad. And so much of it is tied up in cultural norms. And as a society, many societies, I guess, within the world are strongly challenging cultural norms. And looking back at how were those formed? I mean, we look at 
systemic racism, patriarchy, those types of things. People are pushing back on those things and looking at these cultural norms that have come forward through kind of society at large, but also in religion. And I think we're finding that those things don't necessarily make sense. It doesn't mean that it doesn't. And that's too broad of a statement. I think that for some folks, it does align and some folks are still involved in organized religion. And so I think that if there's nothing, if that goes away, if we're more of an atheistic or agnostic society, or more of a quote unquote, spiritual society that doesn't tie to organized religion, I think there is a gap that needs to be filled around how do I identify what's good and bad? How do I understand how to live my life in a way that's healthy and positive? I mean, religion had all of that. That was the center for everyone. And, and there's not that if it's gone. But that is a religious-centric argument as the default from sure. the very beginning. And I've heard this argument from atheist circles forever that if what prevents somebody from murdering or raping somebody else is some sort of all-being judge in the afterlife, that does not make you a good person. <laughs> that atheists cannot murder and not rape people just because it's the wrong thing to do. But I, I think that the, how is that decided though? Like, how as a society have we decided that you don't rape and murder? I mean, that's part of the social contracts of being part of a society. But where do those social contracts come from? And this is a cultural shift away from this being from a religious-oriented defaults to something that is reflective of a society or a worldwide sort of change as far as the relation to how we arrive at living at those morals. Living in the United States under that society, both of us have white privilege. I think there are societies that believe that raping and murdering are okay, <laughs> depending on what somebody looks like, what genitalia they have and whether or not they're wearing a headdress. So I think that there is, is something where, as a society, we can't just say, well, people are just going to agree not to rape and murder. The point that I'm arguing here <laughs> is how do we arrive at these things being good or bad? And historically, what has been done and has done in the name of these things, raping and murdering. Sure. You know, there's been lots of religious colonialism throughout. Oh, that has absolutely. Historically put into place these systems and then maintained them through the abuses of these systems. You know, I, I don't want this episode to just be like, OK, here's where organized religion has done really terrible <laughs> no. things in the past. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is that imagining getting to morals and stuff like that outside of religion seems to be the threat of, I know the author of a couple of these articles is a theologian. So sure. there's already just kind of a bias of this has been the societal default, the sociological default for behaving in these ways. And if people are arriving at some of these conclusions in ways that challenge what these organizations have done in the past, there seems to be a lot of bias that needs to be sussed out in who the New York Times is just letting throw up some words on their pages. <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. And I think the the other compelling part of this, and I don't have a strong opinion yet, I'll probably come to it as we're talking, but one of the articles, I don't remember which one, we'll post the link to all of these articles in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. But one of the articles was talking about a philosopher or somebody that an expert in philosophy who was having one of these conversations with a therapist 
about morals and values and talking about absolute truths. And the therapist, in a bad therapy kind of way, was invalidating this person's perspective and saying that there are no absolute truths. And so to me, that's really compelling. Like, is that part of what new therapy has become that people are creating their own reality or they're, they're creating their own moral code or they're creating their own truth? And if so, is it bad if we're doing that? I will lay off of the judgment of whether it's good or bad. It's a threat to the way that things have been. Sure. I agree with that. So that point is taken. I'm talking next step into if we are in this space where we are subversive over here, we're helping people to take care of themselves, set boundaries, potentially become pretty self-focused, which I don't think that's true, but that's one of the arguments, and pulling away from quote unquote, absolute truths that society have agreed on for years. Is that something that we're actually doing? Well, within this is also the, does anybody who goes and gets a mental health license now just become the guru that people need to follow their ideas? And a lot of what we've navigated over the years of like, all right, here's, you know, what it's like to work with me as opposed to here's what I'm going to make you believe. Sure. But written into a lot of, you know, the social media posts or the, you know, reports of what goes on in a particular therapy session is what is the role of the therapist? And historically, we've been trained as an avenue of giving people the self-reflection skills to be able to come to their own decisions. Sure. The neutrality of that should open up that if the client that we're working with uses religion as a basis for coming to their morals or whatever else, that is up to the client, not necessarily for us to tell them what to do. Sure. But the concern underneath a lot of this stuff is people are going out and they're making these decisions outside of, you know, the traditional, you know, larger organizations that have unifying theories And that makes it harder to create the space to have people be able to fit. I I guess I'm going back to the same argument of like, this is just a threat to the systems that have been in place all along. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Yes, I think that point's well made. I think the thing that I'm trying to grapple with is 
kind of the other part of what you said, which is what is the role of the therapist? Because if society is looking to us as a new place to understand how I fit in the world, what's right and wrong, how do I live my life, those types of things. In therapy, we help somebody come to their own understanding of it. And hopefully with, you know, kind of if for me, I have the belief that deep down people can figure out what's healthy for them if they're able to clear out the clutter, right? You know, and I think some people may be more directive around what's healthy and not healthy. And certainly I can give advice on, you know, let be active, you know, check with your doctor, but be active. And that will help with some of the mood stuff. But I think there's that element of in therapy, the guidance is very individualized. The guidance is non-directive typically. And it's really about how do you make these decisions and how do you live your life, which is not what religion does. Religion says, thou shalt do X or you must do this or, or whatever, right? And so that's a very different thing. And that puts a lot more autonomy on the individual, which I think is scary to a society that has relied on folks being compliant. And it also may not be honoring folks from collectivist cultures. And so I think that's a whole other conversation to have about what is therapy for folks that is culturally appropriate. But on the other side, if we're looking at therapy taking the place of that, and a lot of therapists are, quote unquote, preaching from the pulpit of social media, there is a lot of direction on how people should live their lives. No is a, a full sentence. You know, you can just opt out if your emotional needs aren't being taken care of. You can opt out of whatever you don't want to attend to. There's a lot of push towards take care of yourself, regardless of the impact on other people. I mean, that's not stated, but that's kind of implied. And that's the concern with some of these things. But we are pretty directive in social media. And that's where a lot of people are consuming mental health content. There's a lot of self-help stuff. There's a lot of things that are tied to that. And I think some of the folks are, you know, and this is why I love a lot of the decolonizing stuff and the stuff that comes from like, look at it a different way. There is community care, community healing. There's things that tie back into more of a kind of societal piece that may be missing if religion's not present, right? The community and the coming together. But as individual therapists, trying to build our brand and be on social media, have we gone to the place of telling people how they should live their lives? You know, what kind of relationships they should be in? What are the red flags? Who should you date? Who should you not date? Is that something that we're co-signing on at the very least, if not explicitly exacerbating? Part of what I'm trying to answer in here is, again, looking at religion as the status quo and what is the point of this and why it may feel threatening is, what is the ultimate goal of any of these institutions? If religion is based in salvation, you know, that this is about living in this plane of existence to, you know, have a better plane of existence after life, that the goal of that is fundamentally different than what therapy is. And as you've outlined, there's different approaches within therapy, there's different approaches within a number of different religions, and whether or not there's even the agreement that something happens after this plane of existence. Sure. What millennia of religion has done is come up with at least some answers, and depending on your amount of cynicism, some circular answers into how we get to these places or why things happen. But as society changes to look at some of those gaps 
and be able to feel the frustrations with not necessarily having full answers and having more readily available information, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's in short form TikTok videos or long-term, you know, diatribes deep into, you know, philosophical readings and everything else that what I see in some of these articles that you've sent me and these criticisms of therapy taking over is that it's largely only a individualistic view that therapy is being pointed as, as individual answers are the only way that's right. And that goes back to our own trainings and the differences between licenses. You know, when we were preparing for the episode, I point out that you and I are both marriage and family therapists. We're going to look at more naturally the impacts of, all right, how is a decision like this going to affect those around you? That, you know, a number of the conversations we have is in setting limits or setting boundaries with family members of, you've still got to have an ongoing relationship with them. This isn't like no is a whole answer and cut everyone out of your life. No forever. Right. You know, that, that gets boiled down into Reddit answers of like, here's three sentences and why you should cut off family members. Therapy is more nuanced than that. And part of, you know, building the straw man that therapy is pushing this individualistic agenda again, comes to this, we are not necessarily doing what we're being accused of in these articles. What we're doing is we're helping people come to their own realizations of this. Some of us in more directive ways than others, but it's outside of the confines of the organization of a larger religion. And that's a threat. That's a new dawning of the ways that we relate to the world. Well, and and not all the articles were tying it to religion. I don't think we need to stick just with that. I think there's a concern that having therapy be so central in so much of our lives, you know, I think I already mentioned in dating, in how we talk about our lives as, as a whole. Like, I think there's therapy has invaded in a lot of spaces. And so in truth, I guess, is that is that good or bad? <laughs> I mean, I might argue that that lots of people having therapy is certainly good for my business. I think it's good for society in some ways. I think that there are a lot of things that people can do in therapy that are very pro-social, that is about making sure that your junk isn't spilling out onto other people. And as most therapists do, but certainly systems therapists like family therapists, we're going to talk about how you better relate to other people, how you understand other people, how you see from other people's perspectives. I think that there's a lot of benefit for that. And the framing that as negative because it somehow is too self-focused or too whatever, maybe we've already addressed that. Maybe the individualistic nature of it, we've addressed, right? It's pushing back against the status quo. It's helping people to to figure things out when there's not an established religion telling them what to do. And yes, it is a threat because that's how a lot of societies have been built around these religious principles. But there's also kind of the role of the therapist in what is therapy? You know, I think there may be a whole other conversation here, but some of the folks were arguing that telling people that everyone needs therapy and that therapy is the only way you can be a good person because you've done the work is toxic, is not appropriate. It's not culturally responsive. Not everybody finds therapy to be as as helpful as others. Not everybody's going to align with therapy, but it's also not very accessible for a lot of folks. And so that 
moralistic element of it, of therapy is good and all people need therapy, what do we think about that besides the fact that it helps us keep our practices full? In this, and I realize that I'm putting you in the position of arguing on behalf of these authors, is <laughs> trying to make objective truths is that there has to be objective truths about everything. I'm probably more of a, there's shades of gray. Sure, you know, sure. Objectively, we can define what the color red is by going to whatever you know little color charts that artists do and be like, it's this combination of these wavelengths of light and whatever else. Physical sciences have a lot of objectivity and it is so much of things is based on different perceptions that have a societal history of being able to say, all right, whoever's got the most power gets to define what's objective. Being able to you know, kind of move out of that space is a opportunity to help people to be able to improve their space in life. Not everybody has to go to therapy. I believe that you can be a good person without needing to go and spend time on, you know, a therapist couch or any other, you know, walk and talk therapy or, you know, <laughs> whatever else it is that you can be a well-adjusted human who comes to some sort of living within the values, contributing well to the society. But I don't believe that, like, you have to go to somebody for help in order to improve things. A hundred percent. I think the argument in some of these articles were that generationally, not even Gen X, but or, or millennials, Gen Z is really the the generation that's most impacted by this, where you have to go to therapy to be appropriate for society. And so it's not even therapists that are saying these things, I don't think. I, I guess one article was like, a therapist said all people must have therapy or everybody could use therapy. And then also a tweet that was then deleted was people should require therapy to become parents, which was lots of pushback there because that was pretty culturally insensitive. And so I think there's this element of society has shifted this way. And maybe it's just there's a lot of people that really value therapy, right? And so they're singing the praises. And this is a pendulum swing towards, hey, you know, stigma's down and therapy really helps. So everyone should have it, right? I think my question isn't, do we believe that everyone needs to go to therapy? No, I don't believe everybody needs to go to therapy. I think people can find useful things in therapy, even if they don't necessarily need to go. But I, you know, there's a whole other conversation about should therapists be a little bit more discerning in who comes into their offices because people who really need therapy can't access it. Whereas the folks who are the worried well or the people that are working on personal growth can definitely get into therapy. <laughs> and so as a society, people that don't need it as much get it. But I think that there's that element of should therapists be co-signing on these broad notions or capitalizing on them by reposting memes or by putting forward these very concrete, simplistic life plans on social media, I mean, is this something that we should be doing? Because we certainly get a lot of likes and follows. We certainly get a lot of people into our practice. If we co-sign on this ethos that's out in society, what is our responsibility here? Our responsibility is 
maybe this is just an incredibly individualistic way and growing up in the American West and knowing that <laughs> the free market reigns supreme above all else. Supply side Jesus is who we all need to follow <laughs> values from that. Who are we to really tell society whether or not that they need to go into therapy? We're the experts of whether or not they need to go into therapy. Here's the potential benefits of coming to therapy with me. That's what our responsibilities are. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I mean, I certainly like working with the clients that I work with, and I definitely have a, you know, kind of quote unquote, higher functioning bunch of folks. And there are times when we move past the initial presenting problems and we do move towards personal growth or coping with life that's effed up. <laughs> so, I mean, even look at how much discourse there is within our field as far as what's true therapy and what's not of, you know, working with the worried well versus the personal growthers versus severe mental illness. Yeah. There's a lot that's crammed under the umbrella of mental health. And maybe that's a discussion for another day, but yeah. if this is a resource oriented argument of too many people are going to therapy and it's taking away from, you know, underfunded or under-researched areas of working with severe mental illness, I, I can buy that as a criticism of like, hey, maybe some of you need to re-stigmatize your mental health and <laughs> save some space for the rest of people. But if what we're talking about is people paying out of pocket to go to therapy, what's the big problem of what other people do with their time and with their money in coming to their own personal growth sorts of areas? Sure. And I agree with all of that. I think the thing that that I just want to pay attention to for myself. Cause I, I don't know that I really was worried about us being snake oil salesmen, snake oil salesmen. Uh, but I do think that there is a responsibility and I'll link to the social media one episode on our show notes. But like, I think that there is an element of, are we basically overhyped self-help <laughs> or are we actually therapists? And I think oftentimes what social media looks like is overhyped self-help. Well, and even critically looking at things, how many episodes have we talked about or started our guests with? Like, there's a lot of things that we do wrong. Yeah. A lot of what makes therapy effective. We've leaned into Scott Miller's research a ton that says, you know, there's tons of trainings and manuals and everything else that comes back to you. But ultimately, isn't it up to the individual that we're treating to determine whether or not that therapy is working? Yes. And so... You know, at its core, these arguments of too many people are going to therapy these days is a pearl clutching of, oh, people are trying to individually make sense of how they fit back into society. Yeah. Good treatment plans are going to include, you know, the social part of the biopsychosocial approach that this seems to be such an outsider's perspective of the criticisms of what therapy is that I will give them their subjective truth on this. But to make that even into an objective argument seems to be just dismissive of things that some people are going to need some help from 
some ways of life and some people are going to need help from different ways of life. And historically, that has been resolved by wars and murder and killing people into believing whichever side has more might and more power to make that happen. So you're saying therapy is the humane alternative? Not in all <laughs> cases. <laughs> and because there are people who are selling things like conversion therapy. Mm, fair. And I think that this is something where giving people the individual choices to improve their lives in the ways that they see fit and that they feel work for them is potentially something that other people are going to have differing opinions in me. Those people get their articles published in the New York Times. <laughs> I have a podcast and coming to some sort of reconciliation between the two, there's probably more of an answer between both and rather than either or. Sure, sure. And I think it's kind of fun in some ways that therapy speak, therapy has become so ubiquitous for society and that we talk about all of these things as a regular thing. I think sometimes it makes it more confusing, but it feels like it makes what we do more accessible. The takeaway that I have is really as individual therapists, we have to look at what is it that we're doing in therapy? Are we telling people how to live? Which I think mostly no, <laughs> because most of, of the ways that we work with clients is non-directive. And when we are directive, it's client-driven in, in a lot of different ways. I think as therapy influencers, I think there's also a responsibility to look at what is the content that you're putting out? Does it have a good base? Does it make sense? If folks are using therapy as a weapon or using personal growth as a weapon, I think that's clinical information and fodder for future therapy sessions. I don't know that that's what therapy is leading to. It's part of the process sometimes for people to push back and then kind of find their grounding. We would love to hear your thoughts on this. You can let us know on our social media or in our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. If you like this content and want to continue to support us, consider becoming a patron or supporting us on Buy Me a Coffee or in any of the other offerings that Katie and I have. You can find our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whittelm with Katie Renoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.